So last week in part one of the series, we focused on, on Jonah's calling and then his disobedience to God's calling. And uh, today we're going to focus on the outcome of his disobedience. So we're going to pick it back up, Jonah chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. This is what God says to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, which is what we believe is Spain, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now God instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach repentance because the city was wicked. And Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with Nineveh. He's like, no way, I'm not going there. It's, it's the capital city or the principal city of the Assyrian Empire. It's, in, it's Israel's sworn enemies. Why on earth would I go to Nineveh, preach repentance to my enemies? Um, instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah decides I'm going the complete and opposite direction. I'm going towards Spain, <clears throat> which is really just basically the end of the known world at that time, uh, 2,500 miles southwest from his hometown. So the complete and opposite direction. And at first glance, we can read Jonah's story. We can really criticize him. Uh, but yet, how many of us love our enemies as we're instructed to? How many of us are, call, you know, all of us are called to love our enemies. How many of us are loving our enemies? So at first glance, we can criticize it. But when we really look at how we put this truth into practice, well, we can be no better than Jonah. Just remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemies and hate, or excuse me, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So that's what you've, that's what you've lived by. That's what you heard. And, but Jesus is the word made flesh. This is what he says. But I say to you, so I'm the word made flesh. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So loving our enemies, and I would just say this, when it comes to, to something in the Word of God that rubs you wrong, it's probably rubbing you wrong for a reason. So loving our enemies uh, is not natural to our flesh, but if we're born again, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, if the Spirit of God has changed us, empowers us, He can empower us to love our enemies. Loving our enemies is an example of God's general call to all believers. It's not like, well, just the pastor is called to love uh, the enemies, the rest of us can hate them. No, that's not the way it goes. We're all called and empowered by the Spirit of God to love our enemies. So Jesus examples our love for our enemies by this, by on the cross, what he says, uh, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So like Jonah, we may feel like we have valid reasons uh, for not loving our enemies, but they are valid only from a fleshly perspective. And we remember this, we're not called to live according to the flesh, we're called to live according to the Spirit. And that's why there's a conflict that exists. It doesn't sit well with here, even though I know this is what the Word says. And like I said, when you have that, something that rubs against you wrong, it's probably a good indication you need to grow in that area. So uh, just to encourage you uh, to put the Word of God into practice. And without the love of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it will be impossible for us to love our enemies. But with God, all things are possible, amen? But with the love of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, it is possible, but it all hinges on this, if we're willing. If we're willing. So God calls us, obviously, there are general, the general call of God upon our lives to do certain things. We're all called to love our enemies. Uh, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
we're called to reach lost people. Uh, there's great examples that it's a general call to all people. But then there are also some specific callings. God has individual callings and purposes for each and every one of us. Not everybody was called to go to Nineveh, but Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. That was God's call on his life. He had a purpose for him to go to Nineveh. So God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, preach, the, preach repentance. But Jonah decides this, I'm not going to do what God's called me to do because basically I don't want to do it. I don't agree with it. And listen, that may sound harsh, but we, we run into this all the time. God calls us all to do certain things, and we're like, you know, I just I have this excuse, I have this reason why I can't do certain things. Jonah just is a little more bolder than us. He just goes, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to make up any excuses. You know, I got a headache today or whatever. No, I'm just not going. You've called me to do this, but I'm not doing it. So all of us can sympathize with Jonah's disobedience because that's exactly what sin is. Sin is disobedient to God and his word. So Jonah just wasn't fleeing from God's call. Remember this. Two times in verse 3, it says that Jonah fled from the presence of God. I want you to see this for a second. So Jonah's not just fleeing from God's call and God's purpose. Jonah is actually fleeing from God at the same time. And likewise, if we flee from God's plans and purposes, and sometimes we like to, to chop this up, you are fleeing from God, by the way. If you're fleeing from God's plans and purposes, you are fleeing from God. Likewise, if you flee from God's presence, you are fleeing from his plans and purposes. And the reason why I say that, if we really understood what redemption meant, to be redeemed, that truth, that statement wouldn't be so hard to put together. See, because redemption means this, you have been bought back, you have been purchased. God, blocked, God bought you by the blood of Jesus. You don't belong to you. So if you're fleeing from God's plans and purposes, you are fleeing from God. He's bought you. So that's something that if we just really understood what redemption means, to purchase something back, to repurchase for the purpose of restoration. For example, someone who was sold into slavery was repurchased, redeemed, and then restored to citizenship. So God calls us, or God's call in our lives, his purpose of redemption is that he redeems us from our sin, but not that we go out and live our lives how we want to, and we ask God to bless us. See, that's how we understand redemption. No, no, that's not the way it works. God redeems you then so that you can fulfill the reason why he puts you here on this planet. And if you flee from that, you're fleeing from God himself. So Jesus redeems us from our sins. He restores us to fill, fulfill his plans, his purposes. Again, I just would emphasize this first, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? Boy, if we could just settle on that verse and just kind of look at it every day and evaluate that, it would help us out a whole lot. And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So as people redeemed by Christ, we belong to Christ, and therefore the life we live should fulfill his plans and his purposes for God in us in Christ. So Jonah gets on board the ship. He's heading towards Spain. He's fleeing from God. He's fleeing from God's plans and purposes. And this is what occurs in verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Verse 5, the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to his, and, and every man cried out to his God. 
and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, and he laid laying down and was fast asleep. So Jonah wasn't a heavy sleeper. He was simply ignoring God. And all of us can really sympathize with Jonah's actions. Again, we might look at it hypocritically and say, oh, I just can't believe that. You know, he's, he's purposely ignoring God, yet we do it all the time. We understand what God's word says for our lives, but often we do with the opposite. We're ignoring God. So we have a similar experience. We go in the opposite direction of God's plan, and what do we do? We encounter a storm. It happens all the time. So the storm, what we, we miss is this. The storm is, is really the grace of God. The storm shows us the consequences of our actions apart from God and apart from his plans and purposes. See, Jonah ignores the ship or the storm. I mean, he hears the, the, or he, uh, he hears the thunder. He sees the lightning. He could feel the boat rocking back and forth. What does he do? I don't care. God, I don't care what you do to this, this boat. I don't care what kind of storm you bring. I don't care what's taking place. I'm going to sleep. I'm not going to Nineveh. You can find someone else. I'm going to Spain. I'm going as far away from you as I can. So Jonah is ignoring it. Here, here's what we should really call it, because this is a trait that's common to all of us. It's called stubbornness, because that's exactly what he's being. He's just being stubborn. And some of us do this. You know, I'll say, someone will call you stubborn, and you're like, you wear it like a badge. Proud of it. Darn right I'm stubborn. You know, pride with stubbornness will cause you to engage into a lot of storms, by the way. So don't be so proud to put that stubborn pin on, because you are going to encounter a lot of storms. So sinful man, our nature is stubbornness towards God. And we think our plans are better. If that wasn't true, we would all be falling into perfect harmony with God's plans and purposes. But there are many times we try to do this, well, you know, Maybe I should do it this way or this way or this way, but this is what God says to do. So we always think our plans are better than God's. Why? Because we're stubborn. And in the, the end result, we find this, that God's plans was always better than ours. So God knows this. When, he, when it comes to plans and purposes, remember this. He has an eternal perspective. He sees the beginning from the end. We only see so much and forth. The rest of it is just is fantasy land. This is where we'd like to be, where we want to get, what we'd like to have. But God sees the beginning and the end. God sees it from an eternal perspective. He knows where his plans will lead us if we'll follow. And he understands this, where your plans, where our plans will lead us if we continue to go that direction. So God isn't going to do this. He's never going to force us to choose his plans. It's never. You can, you can look at the storm. You can look at the, the fish as in that perspective. God is not making Jonah do what he wants him to do. If you read, the, if you read that story the, that way, you're reading it incorrectly. Because if God didn't want Jonah to go and to make those choices, he would just say, you're not getting on that ship. You, you're not, if, I, if, if he wants you to do something, he's going to do it. But that's not the way God operates. So if you're looking at Jonah as God is forcing him to do something, you're looking at it completely cor incorrectly. See, God in his love for us sends storms. He allows storms to come our way. Why? It's a way for us to do this. Maybe this isn't the best decision after all. Maybe, maybe we get stubborn. We're like, nah, it's just a storm. And it's just, it's just whatever it is. I just, I just blow it off. We get, we get stubborn. But yet God is sending this storm for a reason, to show us something. Hey, listen, your plan maybe isn't as good as you think it is. So let's go back to Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. So the captain came to him. And he said to him, what do you mean, what, what do you mean, sleeper? I just love that. 
What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for, the, for whose cause the trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Let's skip on down to verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Stubborn. He's stubborn. The reason why this all happened because me, I'm, I've ran from the presence of God. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was, was growing more temptuous. And verse 12, he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this, is, this great tempest is because of me. He knows the storm is because of him. And some of us are going through storms that we've created. They're storms of our own action or inaction. We make decisions. We think certain thoughts. We make certain choices. And the outcome is this. It's a storm. God will allow us to go through a storm so that we might reconsider our plans for his and repent. And repentance can be very difficult for people in this world today, for us, because of this. Every, everything our world tells us is this, we're all victims. We're all victims, and someone else is responsible for our pain or our misfortune. And you might be the victim. You might have been a victim in your, in your life. I'm not saying that's not true. But I'm telling you this, you, you being held hostage by your past is on you. Well, that's hard for some of you to hear, and I know that may seem like it's lacking grace, but it's not. I mean, if you want to continue to be a victim your, the rest of your life, then that's, you're welcome to it. But that's not God's plan and purpose for you. And I can tell you this, that there is a redeeming purpose as well that you just may not see. So we can't do this. You can't control the actions of anyone. If someone wants to kill you in this world, they'll kill you. You can't control the actions of another person. And this is a great lesson. God's not controlling Jonah. God's allowing a storm, but he's not controlling Jonah. So go back to this. You might have been a victim, but you can't control the actions of another person. But you can control how you react to your past, react to those situations, you, how you react to that person. So you cannot control the actions of someone else, but you can control you. See, Jonah realizes this. His choices are now having an effect on someone else. He's made some poor choices. He's been stubborn, and now... That storm has come, and it's affecting everyone else. Now, Jonah realizes this. He goes, just throw me overboard. Looks at the sailors, just throw me overboard. And really, you could say, what a noble person. No, he's not noble, by the way. Because if he was noble, he would just jump out of the ship. Here's what I mean by that. A noble person would take responsibility for his actions and not still put people in jeopardy. Or this, I'm going to make that decision be on you now. You're going to throw me in the I mean, they're throwing this guy into the water, into the sea, into this raging storm. And they don't want to be guilty of his blood. Even though he tells them to do it, why don't you just jump in, buddy? If you know this is for you, take it out of our hands. See, stubbornness puts other people in an awkward position. Our stubbornness will put people in an awkward position. How many of you heard this statement or something like it? My sin isn't harming anyone but me. That is the biggest lie ever. Tell that to a parent whose son and daughter is no longer serving God. And they serve, they're no longer serving God, and they die in that state. Those parents live every day wondering if that person made things right before they died. 
So don't ever tell me that my sin doesn't affect anyone else but me. No matter how personal it is, give you an example. People who deal privately with addiction, uh, you cannot stop yourself from being nasty. You may think you have a good hold of things, but you don't. Because that nastiness, that, that bitterness, that anger, that frustration, that all that you're dealing with, that internal problems will come out somewhere. So don't ever say that my sin doesn't harm anyone because, but myself, because it does. It harms everyone. So our sin, our stubbornness, does have an impact on others. Let's go down to verses 15 and 17. This is what they do. They pick up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea, sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. <laughs> These guys are acting better than Jonah, by the way. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and that's a unique solution. I mean, when you read the Bible, that's a very unique solution, but it, it shows us God's grace. It shows us the willingness of God to go to these lengths to say, listen, this isn't going to work out well for you. This isn't my plan for your life. Look, I think of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God sending a great fish to swallow a stubborn and defiant Jonah is an act of grace. See, if it wasn't an act of grace, God just kill him in the storm, that'd be it. I mean, he could just drown as far as... You know, but that's not the way it is. God brings this fish for a purpose. It's, a, it's part of his story. It's part of his message. It's part of his plan and its purpose for Jonah. And so since Jonah ignored the stone, storm, maybe a great fish might get your attention. I mean, I sent this storm, to, uh, this storm to take place. It's tearing everything apart. You all live. It's amazing to show the power of God in that picture. God has all this power just to wipe everything out, but he doesn't. He, he allows all the storm to play, and he begins to sustain him in that storm. That would be good enough for me. But Jonah's stubborn, and he's defiant. Throw me overboard. You guys be safe. I'm still not going to Nineveh, is what he's saying. You can kill me. I don't care. I'm not going to Nineveh. He's defiant. He's stubborn. So Jonah thinks this. Maybe if I go to Spain, everything will be better. But God knows what's best for us. And that's why he prepares a fish to swallow Jonah, to show him this. Your plans aren't going to end up the way you think they are. You might think that this, these choices are going to lead here. Life is better in Spain, but it's not going to be better. See, Jonah thinks that the same thing that we all think when we're making choices that go against the will and purpose of God. It's always, the grass is always better on the, the greener on the other side, and it never is. So when we decide to move away from God, that decision can take us further and further away from God, further than we ever imagined. Inside the belly of the fish, Jonah realizes the consequences of his decisions. Finally, he's like, this isn't where I want to be. It's amazing how much a storm and a fish will begin to humble you. And maybe you see things from a different perspective. Again, that's why I say it's, it's an act of God's grace. It's not an act of judgment, it's an act of his grace. Jonah 2.2, and he cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, or hell. I cried out and heard, you heard my voice. Inside the fish, Jonah gets a sense of what it's going to be like away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord, away from God's plans and purposes. Jonah likens this experience to hell. Jonah cries out, realizing this isn't what I signed up for. Anybody else been there? 
I'm going to go this direction, and you get there like, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for. So there are often things that happen in our life. This isn't what we signed up for, and that's exactly what takes place with Jonah. See, sin will always make promises that it can never keep. Uh, Sin will always take us further away from God than we ever originally planned. Uh, Sin will keep us captive longer than we ever imagined. Sin will leave us with a bunch of broken promises, and it will only leave you with a bunch of regret. See, Jonah's experience inside the fish leads to his repentance. Uh, It was the goodness of God that led Jonah to repentance. Inside the fish, far away from God's plan, far away from God's purposes, this is what Jonah says in verse 4. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. So this is where... This is what away from your presence is going to look like. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah, feeling the darkness of his choices, repents. He reaffirms his commitment to God. And like Jonah, we make decisions that are contrary to God's will. And what what happens? We end up in the belly of a fish. Some folks will do this. You'll be in the belly of a fish. And I know this has happened to many of us. You get in the belly of a fish and you're like, God, why didn't you keep me? from making that decision? Why didn't you send someone else? Why didn't you stop me from doing this? God, why did I have to go through this? And you know what? I believe God says this. I sent you a storm, storm after storm, but you didn't listen. You got swallowed, I don't know how many times, and spit back up, and you still didn't listen. Stubborn. God begins to remind us of these things if we humble ourselves. But again, if we keep that victim's mentality, everyone else is to blame, you'll never see all the storms that came in your life as storms. You'll look at them as problems someone else caused for you. See, at some point, God wants us to understand that our miserable situation, apart from him, can really become a new normal. It's, it's never a good place, church. We can only resist the grace of God so long until God does this. See, I, I know that we look at grace as unmerited favor, and I get that. But it's not unmerited favor for a lack of repentance, But that's not the way we understand grace and repentance. God offers grace in exchange for repentance. So at some point, this is what happens. You you can get in the midst of a storm, in the belly of a fish, you can be miserable. Unless you're you're willing to repent, nothing's going to change. You're going to continue to get more and more miserable. And you get to that place and you're just like, you know what? This isn't what I signed up for or this is my new normal. Paraphrasing Romans chapter 1. This is what takes place. We resist the grace of God so much, so long, God says this is going to become your new normal. God's going to give you up or over to these things. And that's what happens in the lives of a lot of folks. God is trying to spare us that. That's why he sends the storm. That's why he sends the fish. He's trying to spare us from doing this. I'm going to give you over to your desires. I'm going to give yourself over to your pleasures. I'm going to give yourself over to the plans and purposes that you want, and you're going to have to live with them. You say, man, that's, 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 that's rough. And no, it's not. Again, it's another measure of God's grace. If you, I'm going to give you what you want. When you get there, let me know if you like it. God giving us over to our choices is this, that we're hoping to see that, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. This isn't what I want. This isn't what I, I desire. And we'll repent. So you may be in a storm or in the belly of a fish right now thinking, it can't get any worse. It can get worse, by the way. And not only can, it will get worse unless we repent. See, Jesus redeemed us to fulfill his plans and his purposes. Until we align ourselves with that, we'll never find the peace we're looking for. The experience that peace comes, that experience that it brings is is so soothing, so comforting. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. 
doesn't mean you don't have any problems, but you are in the midst of God's will. There's just something special about that. And in order to do that, it really comes down to one thing, total and complete surrender. I'll give you an example. I, I love history, and during the Civil War, uh, Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant, which, by the way, his S really isn't, if you, if you know the history, it, it was something that was given to him by the military. His, it's actually not his middle initial. But anyways, Ulysses S. Grant was given a nickname because he had this hawkish nature. And Grant was different than all the other generals in the Union. The other generals in the Union were just wimps. Uh, if, if the battle was going their way and there was surrender, they would allow, they would allow the enemy just to go and leave, take, take part of their weapons, let all the commanding officers go. But with Grant, it was different. This is, when he surrounded an enemy, the opposing general sent out the, the emissaries to negotiate peace terms, and this was always the result of that, unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. So are you going to let us go? No, you're, you're going to surrender your arms. You're going to be taken captive as well. Unconditional surrender. So he was called U.S. Grant. Unconditional surrender Grant was his nickname. And with God, it's the same way. Unconditional surrender. If you really want the peace that God wants to give you, and you want to live the plans and purposes God's trying to give you, unconditional surrender. See, if we're resistant to the storms of God's grace, we continue to pursue Tarshish. We should expect some time in a fish. It's coming. Just expect it. And I truly believe this. When it comes to Jonah, I really believe if Jonah remained unrepentant in the belly of the fish, this is what God would have done. I really believe this. God would have spit him right up on the shores of Tarshish. There you go. Have it. This is what you wanted. I'm going to spit you out right here. You go do what you want to do now. God's not forcing him. Nowhere in the story is he forcing him to do this. He's just showing this is what it's going to be like apart from my presence. I believe God would have just spit him right out there in Spain. I believe Jonah would have gotten what he wanted, and God would have said in hopes that this, that maybe he'll turn back from that and realize that's not what he signed up for. And that's why many people will miss in the midst of a storm or in the, the midst of the belly of the, the fish what's going on, what's taking place. God is trying to show us grace. He's given us an opportunity to see our lives apart from him and apart from his plans. Jonah realizes this. He, he doesn't have to go through that next step. He goes, God, I repent. This isn't what I signed up for. I repent. And by the way, repentance is more than just being sorry, right? I mean, I hope, hopefully God, you have godly sorrow that encourages repentance, but Godly sorrow itself is not repentance. Sorrow itself is not repentance. Sorrow can help us to repentance, but knowing we're wrong, number one. Feeling remorse, number two. Taking responsibility, number three. This is why we have a hard time repenting right there. Acknowledging, taking responsibility, owning it. Again, but you don't understand what this person did to me. See, we, have, we, we can't get to the place of repentance. Because we'll, unless we are sorrowful, unless we know that we're wrong, feel remorse, and take responsibility of our actions, we'll never, it will never lead us to a change of heart, mind, and direction. We'll just go right back to where we were. And, you know, repentance in this day and age in the modern church is something that's becoming abnormal. Well, we don't want to preach repentance to someone because that might offend people. I mean, it might offend someone to stop doing what they're doing to do the right thing. I know that sounds contrary, but that is exactly what's taking place. We don't want people to leave our church because we're preaching repentance. Jesus stressed this. I, just, I looked up the word repent and repentance just in the New Testament. I'm not going to bore you with all the... But I'm going to give you three. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 3, 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't just say you're sorry. You better live like you're sorry, right? Live like you want to go in the right direction. Not like, God, bless me, forgive me so I continue to go the wrong direction. No, repent, bear, bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. Uh, Luke 5, 32, I have not come, Jesus says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, Jesus uh, reflecting on, on Jonah's story. Matthew 12, 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So repentance is always key in our relationship with God. Repentance is not a once in a, a lifetime act. I did it once and that's it. And boy, it's so confusing to some people. Oh, I repented of my sins when I gave my life to Jesus, but we are to live a life of repentance. If that's our idea of repentance, I repented once and that's it, there are some storms that you're going to encounter. There are some, some time that you're spending in the belly of a fish. So repentance means this, we turn away from our sin. Not only that, because I think there's confusion about that. We don't only turn away from our sin, but we turn to God. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a forsaking and a committing. It goes back to these words, follow me, Jesus says to his disciples. Stop what you're doing, follow me. So repentance means we turn away from our sin, we turn to God, we return to his plans and purposes, we abandon our plans, we abandon our purposes, we commit ourselves to God. Inside the belly of a great fish, Jonah cries out to God in repentance. God gives Jonah that opportunity to go in the right direction. He spews him out, right? The fish does. Jonah 2.10, so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I don't know why I get such a pleasure of saying that, but I just do. Blech. Just yacked him up. What does the grace of God result in Jonah's situation? Grace results in restoration of Jonah's relationship with God. Grace results in the restoration of Jonah's call. When I think of Jonah's story, I think of someone in the New Testament. The person I think most of in the New Testament is Peter. Jesus called Peter to do what? To leave his fishing business, follow him, and fish for men, become a soul winner. Luke 5.10 says this, And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon or Peter. And Jesus said, to Simon or to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats near to land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter surrenders everything, follows Jesus for the next three years. But again, we fast forward to the end of that three years on the night of the Last Supper, the day before the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, you're all going to fall away because of me. You're all, you're all going to fall away. And Peter, of course, being who he is, says these words. In Matthew 26, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Yeah, what he just said, right? What Peter just said. And we know this just in a matter of hours from that event. Hours. Peter denies Jesus three times. You know, Peter is a stubborn person. If you, if you read the story of Peter, he's really a stubborn, kind of a prideful person, kind of brash, kind of big mouth, right? Very, just that's the kind of sense you get from him. People often like that when they're guilty of sin and they realize it often fall into shame. And that's what she, Peter does. He's guilty for sure. By the way, when we say guilt and shame, they're not the same. Guilt means you're guilty. You, you are guilty. You're responsible, right? Shame is what you feel because of, I'm guilty. 
So afterwards, Peter, what does he do? Goes back to Galilee. What does he start doing? Starts fishing again. Jesus didn't call him to fish for fish. Jesus called him to fish for men. And after the resurrection, Jesus returns to Galilee, finds, whatever it is he find, Peter? Back in the belly of a fish. It's exactly where he is. He's at the belly of a fish. Peter was fishing on the boat and see the Galilee. He's fishing. He sees Jesus from on the shore. He knows this. Jesus isn't there for any other reason but him. Sees Peter, sees Jesus walking along the shore. What does he do? I'm not going to wait for the boat to get ashore. I know he's there for me. I know he's here for me. He's not here to kill me. He's not here to destroy me. He's here for me. Peter jumps in the water, swims ashore. Of course, then there's this conversation with Jesus later. With Peter and between Peter and Jesus, and here it is, verse uh, 15, John 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, isn't it ironic, son of Jonah? Not the same Jonah, by the way. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, and he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. See, this is what we don't like when we're confronted with our sin and our past and our decisions. And this is what keeps us from repentance, by the way. Because this is what we don't want to feel, but it's exactly what we need to feel. Peter was grieved because he said to him, a third time, and we know why Jesus picked three times. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Peter's owning it, right? You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Restoration of Peter's relationship with God, restoration of his call. It, you know, it's, it's unpleasant to own things, right? It's unpleasant to say I was wrong. It, it's not very fun to, to admit guilt and to feel that shame, but Listen, God's not into the shame part. He's into the guilt part so that we can get to restoration. Shame is what we inflict on ourselves or what we feel. But Jesus restores Peter to his purpose, and Jesus shows Peter grace in exchange for his repentance because that's exactly what Peter's doing in this whole situation. And Peter, again, returned to fishing for men. And what's the outcome of that? On the day of Pentecost, first day of the church, Jesus has been resurrected 10 days. Peter preaches the first sermon. What happens? He catches some men. He doesn't catch fish. He's catching men, 3,000 to be exact, on that first day. Peter was out of the belly of the fish. He was out of the storm. He's doing what God's called him to do. Jesus called him to follow him to catch men. That was part of his plan, his purpose. See, Jesus will give us grace to restore us if we'll come to him. See, no matter what you've done, remember this. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made, past, present, whatever you're doing right now. You have to remember this verse here, please. In, in light of everything I just preached, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and live like hell and God's going to bless you. It's based on this. If you'll return to me, if you'll come back, no matter what you've done, they're irrevocable. I will offer this one caveat. There are certain decisions you can make, things that, you can, that can destroy certain things. But God will restore you, and it may not look like exactly like it was before, but it will still be very similar to what God's calling you to do. Does that make sense? So don't be lured in this. I made this mistake, this mistake, and God's going to bring it all back to be exactly like he said. Maybe not. But the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. It might look a little different, 
but will have the same effect. So if you respond to the grace of God with repentance, Jesus will restore you. God has a plan for your life, every person in here. He has a plan for you. He has purpose, and he has purposes. But you can't fulfill them in Tarshish. So God is calling you to come back. Many of you, he's calling you to come back. Relationally, yeah, but also come back to his plans and purposes. God isn't going to force you. He's not going to make you. He's not going to make you serve him. He's not going to make you follow him. He's not going to make you do what he's called you to do. He's not going to do that. God isn't going to beg you to come back. Please, if you come back, I'll do this for you. You can't barter with God either. That will never work. God, I'll, I'll give you this, I'll do this, if you do that. See, that's not total surrender. It will never work that way. You can't deal with God, especially in, in grace. God will show you grace if you repent, and he will restore you to fulfill his plans and purposes. That's the end of the story. Total and complete surrender to God, to his will, and that will get you out of the storm, and that will get you out of the belly of fish. That doesn't mean you're not going to have storms, but you're not going to be in that storm, and you're not going to be in that fish. So the decision is yours, and I would plead with you today, return to God. Return to his plans and purposes for your life. And just remember this, God's plan is always better than your plan.